We are live. Welcome back to Coffee with Craner. I'm your host, Lyndon Crane, and today I have Maestro Robert Franz from the Windsor Symphony Orchestra, acclaimed conductor, uh, music director for the Windsor Symphony Orchestra since 2013. Yeah. Um, also the artistic director for the Boise Baroque Orchestra, um, and concluded recently your 14-year tenure um, as associate conductor of the Houston Symphony, okay. uh, where he recently was honored the Raphael Flegel Award for Visionary Leadership. Um, Maestro Franz has been a huge supporter of music in, in Windsor-Essex and across uh, the states as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm excited to talk about uh, his passion for music as a conductor, what that career looks like, and we'll jump right into it. Let's do it. Awesome. So every show I ask a question yeah. about coffee. Yeah. Do you drink coffee? I, oh yeah, every morning. Every and morning? And then every afternoon. Yeah, coffee exchange is my place. Okay, it's right, right down the street. And, if you don't notice, we are actually in the Capitol Theater. Yeah, so this is the Pentastar Theater, which is the largest theater of the Capitol Theater complex. There are three theaters here. Mm -hmm. And this is the stage where we perform. And this stage is huge. It's, it, it's we massive. can hold up to 200 people on this stage. We perform big works with chorus and orchestra. We'll have 200 people uh, all up on here at once. And recently, the Capitol celebrated its 100th. It did. So, so the uh, orchestra is 75 years old. The Capitol Theater is 100 years old. We've got so much history here of the arts. It's really, it's pretty extraordinary. Yes, and it, but right behind, in front of us is the uh, there's beautiful murals and um, decorations. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so make sure you stop by. But uh, jumping into my first question, how sure. did you become a conductor? Can you share more about that journey? Sure. So what happened was I was um, I started out in elementary school as a cellist, and quite by accident, I didn't know anything. I didn't grow up in a musical family particularly, and mm -hmm. I, I didn't know a lot about which instrument was what. But a music teacher came around and said, "Hey, do you want to play an instrument?" So I said, "Sure." She said, "What do you want to play?" I said, "I don't know." She said, "Well, let me see your hands." So she held up my hands. She goes, "These are the hands of a great cellist." <laughs> and what she meant was they were big enough to hold the cello, so I didn't play the violin. So I started on cello. Immediately, I fell in deeply and passionately in love with making music. There was something about making a sound um, outside of my body and being able to express myself that was just extraordinary to me. Um, in grade six, we moved uh, to a new place that didn't have a string orchestra, so I had to choose a band instrument. I switched to the oboe, which is a woodwind instrument. And then in high school, I started taking private lessons and getting better at it, and I thought, okay, I, this is what I want to do for a living. Mm -hmm. So I went to the University of the North Carolina School of the Arts, and I did a bachelor's degree in oboe. In the middle of that, I thought, I'm going to take a conducting class just to kind of see what it's like. I just want to try it out. So I took a conducting class. I fell completely head over heels in love with the idea of conducting. It was so magical. You know, you take your hand and you go, boom, and sound comes out. Mm -hmm. And it just was something like I couldn't even imagine how extraordinary it was. And so from that moment on, I thought, I want to be a conductor. That's what I want to do. And so I ended up staying at the North Carolina School of the Arts and doing a master's degree in conducting. So I did a bachelor's in oboe and a master's in conducting. Um, and then I get out of school, out of college, out of university. And I really had no hope of getting a job because in order to get a job conducting a professional orchestra, you have to have experience. In order to get experience, you have to conduct a professional orchestra. So mm -hmm. I thought, well, if nobody's going to hire me, I'll just start my own orchestra. I mean, how hard can it be? I didn't know how hard it was, so that's why I did it. And it was hard, but it was great, and it was wonderful. And I had my first orchestra, and then I had my second, and then I won my first actual job where I didn't have to raise all the money um, when I was 29 years old. And so I've been conducting ever since. 
Excellent. To be a conductor, do you have to master other instruments? Do you need to have experience with that? So, in order to be a conductor, you have to at least be able to play one instrument well at a professional level because you have to understand how music works from the inside out, how to make music, how to think about music. Mm -hmm. Then, when you decide you want to become a conductor, if you're conducting a professional orchestra, you don't have time in your life to learn all the instruments at that same level but you have to start learning about the nature of the instruments, how they make their sounds, what, what brings this kind of sound or that kind of sound out of an instrument. So there's a lot of study in instrumentation, how instruments work. Okay, is that something you, you studied in school? Yes. Or you, okay. Yeah, so part of my training was just taking conducting classes, but also part of my training was studying other instruments. It was ear training, it was music theory, music history. I had certain projects I worked on, studies of certain t periods of music and that kind of thing. So it was a real, um, a, a bunch of different things that were all brought in together to learn as many different aspects of it as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing about conducting is that you have to learn, you have to learn everybody's part, you have to learn about how each part fits together, but you also have to be able to jump out of the music and say, okay, what is the big shape that the composer is trying to create and how do I bring that to life? So you're inside the music with the small details and you're outside of the music with the big shape that the audience would hear or experience in a concert. For you to be outside of mm -hmm. the uh, performance, yep. were you attending a lot of... Uh, Absolutely, I still attend concerts all the time. So whenever I have free time, I'll go to New York or Detroit or, or Toronto mm -hmm. and see an orchestra or an ensemble perform or an opera production. I'm very... I'm just kind of a, a sponge when it comes to live musical performances. I want to hear as much as I possibly can and um, broaden my repertoire and my understanding and my sort of, um, well, just as much as I can learn as many different styles and types of music. Mm -hmm. And is there a, a conductor that you uh, were impressed with growing up that you would always you know, you try know, to... Uh, whether it's seek advice from or just watch them sure. perform. You know, yes. So um, there were conductors along the way that I worked for as an assistant conductor. So the way it works in this business is you, you really sort of, you're an apprentice really. Okay. So you become an assistant conductor at an orchestra. So I became assistant conductor of the Louisville Orchestra, then the Buffalo Philharmonic, then the Houston Symphony. And in each of those orchestras, I had music directors, conductors of the, the top conductor in the orchestra that I worked for and that I learned from. So for instance, my first um, conductor that I worked for was a guy named Ori Segel. Ori uh, was a professional violist as well as a conductor, so I learned a lot about how string instruments work. Mm -hmm. Then my second orchestra job like that, I worked for Joanne Folletta, who is an extraordinary conductor, extraordinary human being, but really has a handle on how to be a music director in a community, how to, how to connect people with music, how to connect an orchestra how to do interesting programming, how to raise money, how to think about things in a bigger way. And so I learned a lot from her in that regard. So along the way, there were conductors that I worked for that I learned so much from. And it sounds like you're a conductor, but you're also the music director yes. for the symphony. Those are two completely different roles? They are. So they're related, but they're different. So conductor is when I stand on the podium and I wave my arms around in the you know, at a concert. Music director is, my job as music director is to do all the programming or oversee the programming. So our assistant conductor does some of the programming, but I have to sign off on it. Um, hiring guest artists, 
Um, I, I am involved with the hiring and the release of musicians, should that be necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and then generally, sort of my job is to advise the board of directors on the artistic vision of what we can accomplish here at the Windsor Symphony Orchestra. And I'll say, okay, I think that we can do this or this or this, and this is, these are the steps that we need to take. And then I have to convince them to sort of go along with that, with that vision, right? So for instance, last year, um, we commissioned four new pieces of music. We had a composer write four brand new pieces of music for us that were based on, three of them were based on Canadian Christmas carols and one on a children's book uh, called Bobby Orr and the Hand-Me-Down Skates, which we set up for narrator and orchestra. We commissioned those, we had composers write them, we performed them, but then we recorded them and we put out our first CD that we've put out in the last 15 years. But that took a lot of vision and, and explaining to the board and to the staff, mm -hmm. you know, okay, this is what I'm thinking we can do Here's how I think we can get there. What are, the, what are the holes? How do we put it together? So it's providing that sort of, the vision of where we're going as an orchestra. And how did the Windsor Symphony find you? So uh, when you find a music director, it's usually a, an international search. So in my year, which was the 2012-2013 season, they had 157 people apply from around the world. For Windsor. For Windsor, wow. oh yeah, yeah. And there were eight of us that were chosen as finalists, and we each came in and spent a week. So this, this um, interview process for a, a music directorship is incredibly intense because when you come to town, you not only conduct a concert, but you get interviewed usually 15 or 20 times by all the different constituents that have something to do with the orchestra because wow. hiring a music director is a big deal. You wanna make sure it's the right fit for the community, mm -hmm. for the orchestra, for the staff, for the board, for the sponsors, for the patrons, everybody, right? And so everybody has sort of a, 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 hand, a hand in the decision-making process. 127 people. 157. 157. Yeah, yeah. That is, uh, most people when they apply for a job, there's not that many applicants. It's pretty competitive. <laughs> I can imagine. What was that, um, I guess, how did you win them over? Well, so, I mean, the thing is, is that you learn and the older I get, the more I comfortable I am with this. But what you do is you go in and you, first of all, you do your best. You make the best music that you can. That's most important. But secondly, I was just honest. I just said, this is who I am. This is the vision that I see. Mm -hmm. I hear this orchestra. I think I, this is what I know about the city, which at the time wasn't nearly as much as I know now. But I said, I think that here are the options and opportunities of things that we could do. And then the other thing, quite frankly, is that it's a matter of whether it's the right relationship, whether I have a personality that works with them. Mm -hmm. And that is really, it's kind of like going on a blind date, really. You show up and you're like, okay, is this going to work out or not? And it just so happened that it worked out. It was the right fit for both of us. It's, uh, it's, it's intriguing to me because I, you don't think that much is going on behind the scenes. Correct. Um, and how important this role is. Yeah. You're would you consider the head of the... So the way the structure is, is that there's a, a board of directors, which are volunteers in the community. They elect a board president. So that person is the head of the organization, mm -hmm. technically. But that board of directors, the volunteers, hires two individuals only, an executive director and a music director. The executive director oversees the administrative side. The music director oversees the musical side, the artistic side. Those two are exactly equal. Mm -hmm. So uh, our executive director, who's Sheila Wisdom, who's an amazing human being, she and I 
don't make decisions without each other. We always come to an agreement on those decisions. And we've been making those decisions together for 10 years now. Yes. And there is give and take, of course, um, like there is with any, any kind of work relationship. But we work really well together, but they're two sort of equals. So we each have our own role to play. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, this interview is great timing. I mean, it's your 10th. Yeah. 10th year with my, the symphony. My 10th anniversary officially begins in September. I couldn't be more excited. I mean, it's been a great 10 years. Fast. It's gone by so fast. What was your perf your favorite uh, concert over you those know, 10 years? There were so many. I think as I look back, you know, when we celebrated the 150th anniversary of Canada, that was pretty special. We did a performance of Beethoven 9, Ninth Symphony. We had 150 chorus members and we had a 65-piece orchestra on stage. And it was just... Wow. Phenomenal. I also remember, um, so through my work in Houston, I became friends with a, a few of the astronauts down at NASA. One of them was a, a guy named Chris Hadfield. And um, when Doesn't I got- Doesn't ring a bell. I know, right? <laughs> when I got the job here, I sent Chris a note and I said, hey, because Chris had sung a song with me with the Houston Symphony years ago. And so I said, hey, you remember that song you sang with me with the Houston Symphony? Would you consider coming to Windsor to sing that song? It would really increase my Canadian-ness because, you know, I'm an American. <laughs> and so he wrote back, hey, Robert, good to hear from you. I'm up in space. He was in the space station when I wrote him. He goes, I actually wrote a bunch of songs, and I was wondering if you would be interested in doing all of them on a concert. And I said, oh, Chris. I think we can make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his verse, very first concert on Earth was here, right on this very stage. Um, and it just all happened because of wow. like just interactions that he and I had had years before. It's just such a, it's a funny and small world. It is, yeah. yeah. And it's even cooler that he was writing to you <laughs> from the space station. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, Robert, I'm up in space. Okay. Hey. Well, it looks like the most email people, works. <laughs> most people that email you that, you're like, <laughs> is this person okay? Yeah, he was really in space. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, where have you seen the, the organization grow? You know, you've been here 10 years now. So what, I, what I've loved about this orchestra, so when I, just before I took over the orchestra, the orchestra had moved from the Cleary, the old Cleary Theater, the Chrysler mm -hmm. Theater, to the, um, to the Capitol Theater. It was a new move. We were trying to figure out what it meant to be the stewards of this building and to make this our home. And what I've seen is we've really grown over the 10 years into this space. So for an orchestra our size and a city our size, it is enormously unusual to have our own hall, to have our own okay. space. All of our rehearsals take place on stage, which means that we artistically grow in the space. We create sounds that work in this space. So we're not rehearsing somewhere else and bringing it onto a stage that we don't know. I can see the difficulty with that. Yeah. That makes all the difference in the world with the artistic growth of an arts group because we learn to how to hear each other in the same acoustic all the time. Yes, and now if you switch spaces, does that create difficulty? It like creates. If you had to go to the. It's um, a challenge. It's for sure a challenge. I mean, it's not an unsurmountable challenge, but there's something special that happens by being in the same space. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, also, I think the community has really sort of, um, we've been experimenting. You know, we experimented during COVID. Um, we had a digital concert series. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who joined us digitally in their homes. Um, people are coming out that are all sorts of different ages and demographics and from all walks of life. We're seeing a real mix in our audience that is kind of new to us and mm -hmm. we're loving that. And so that's happened. And then the other thing that's happened is Sheila is such an, ex an amazing executive director and we work so well together 
that we've really built up a trust in the community in the organization. So for instance, our endowment has grown. Our, the number of audience members that come in, the number of donations that we get, it's all growing in a positive direction. Mm -hmm. And so what I see is that this is an organization which 10 years ago was a little bit soft in trying to figure out what happened next, is really building a strong foundation for the future. And I'm mm -hmm. very, very pleased with that. That's, that's one thing I noticed from the outside is just the credibility mm -hmm. of the symphony. Um, I think that's a, that has changed uh, dramatically and drastically. And uh, I was only 13 when you yeah. started, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've seen that growth. Right? Yeah. Well, and the great thing is, is that, you know, we, that foundation is important because it means that we can then take risks and start, start to really explore, right? So taking the risk of putting out a new CD was kind of a big deal for us. We don't do that. Big orchestras do that all the time. We don't do that all the time. Mm -hmm. So that was, a big, that was a big fundraising effort. It was a big effort to pull off, and we did it. And we did it because we we really sort of solidified the organization going forward. Mm -hmm. Well, congrats to you Thank and, you. and uh, you know, a successful career it's been. And, yeah. and I imagine uh, there's, there's more years to go. Many. <laughs> Many, I hope. I love it here. Uh, two final questions yes. for you, and then we'll, we'll put it on pause here. And uh, those watching can, can also watch afterwards on coffeewithprainer.com. Uh, but I wanted to leave with uh, two questions. The first being, where do you see the future of classical music heading? Well, one of the things that I love about the classical, so I've been, I've been doing this professionally for over 25 years now. What I see is that there is not only an acknowledgement, but a real effort that's being put in place to represent underrepresented um, demographics on stage. So having more female composers, having more composers of color, having more indigenous composers, having composers or artists who come from different cultures and, and blending cultures together, while it always was done in little bits here and there, mm -hmm. is really expanding tremendously. I think that's a huge improvement yes. and a really cool thing. It inspires me. You know, it inspires me to work with an Erhu player from China or a, you know, a, a, a Comanche player from Iran or a composer from Iran or whatever. Like, there's, it's yes. very inspiring to have those yeah. other elements that are involved. It's great to see that shift, and it's, it's yeah. necessary for sure. Uh, and then what advice could you share with someone who's looking to be in your shoes? They want to be a music director, or they want to be a conductor, or they want to be both. Yeah. So the first and most important element is learn an instrument well. Right, go and become a professional musician. So before I started, and one instrument or yeah, many? well, one. And so when I was, but, but when I first started out after I graduated from university, I started that orchestra that I mentioned earlier. But I was feeding myself by playing in regional orchestras in North Carolina where I was in school. So I had actually won jobs in professional orchestras. So I was playing professionally in orchestras. That's hugely important because mm -hmm. it builds up your cred with musicians if they know that you know what you're doing, that you've been there, right, before. Yes. So that's, that's hugely important. And the second thing is, is that you have to have a moment with yourself and say, okay, this is really what I want because the amount of commitment that is required to be successful in this business is <laughs> monumental. You know, 157 people applying for this job here in Windsor is on the low side many of the jobs of orchestras this size will have 200 or 250 people applying for the job. Wow. That's huge. And one conductor. And one conductor is chosen. So you have to have a real belief in not only yourself, 
but that you can do it and that it's what you want. Mm -hmm. Because you really do have to give up, especially in my younger life. Now I think I have more of a balance, but you really have to give up a lot if you're focused on really achieving what it is that you want to achieve. However, if you do that, I think it's possible. And that, that's, so that's my, my advice to young conductors all the time, is learn how to play an instrument well and really know that this is what you want to do because once you commit, like it is it takes full time. on, and it's full on. Yeah. Like there is no, there's no like I'm tired, there's no like I'm working too hard, there's none of that. <laughs> that doesn't exist in this world, you, you just do it. Good to know, for sure. And uh, those that are aspiring conductors, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Um, Maestro Franz, I really appreciate your time. Thank this you. was uh, exciting and congrats again on, on 10 years. Thank you so much, awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks everyone for watching. Visit coffeewithcraner.com to watch the full episode. We'll see you soon.